This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. You're listening to a Joycast from GLBTIQ Community Radio Station, Joy 94.9. Good evening. It's just a little bit past... uh, Eight o'clock, and you're listening to Freen and Cat on our weekly show, Dystopical. You're listening to Joy ninety four point nine. Now, Dystopical <laughs> is a debate and a reflection on what matters to queer women in our community. And on tonight's show, we're talking about um, queer women and same sex migration. You know, the policy, the history, the stories that make us want to jump through a million hoops, and there really are a million hoops. Absolutely, and there is quite a long history um, to it as well. Yeah, it's a much longer history than I was aware of and with a lot more discrimination than (laughs) I was aware of. As always. So um, if you would like to join in the conversation during the show, you can text us on 0427-JOY949. You can Facebook us at Dystopical or you can email us at dear.dystopical at gmail.com or dystopical at joy.org.au. And remember that you can always use the, the smartphone app. Um, yeah, I don't think it's even just iPhone now. No, no, I think it's like it's for all smartphones. You can just um, get in touch with us directly through that as well. But before we um, tell you about a little bit of the history of same-sex migration, we're going to play you Here Comes the Hot Stepper. Welcome back to Dystopical. You're listening to Cat and Freen on Joy 94.9. Hmm. Um, now, this evening, Cat and I are talking about same-sex migration, the policy, the history, and um, some of the great stories that have come out as a result of it. You can um, let us know if you have any migration stories or issues or whatever, if you've come into contact with any of this stuff. Um, you can Facebook us at Dystopical or email us at dear.dystopical at gmail.com or you can always use the Joy um Smartphone, smartphone or app. iPhone app. <laughs> All right. So just in terms of the history, um, in 1985, Australia became one of the first countries in the world to accept same-sex relationships as, you know, one of the bases for migration. Um, predictably, other countries with similar policies at that time were, you know, Canada, Belgium, the Netherlands, etc. Um, but at that time... Same-sex applicants were assessed through these things called ministerial discretions under compassionate or humanitarian visa categories. Yeah. So there wasn't like a sort of a same-sex or a relationship visa category at that time. Um, in, but in 1991, 1991 um, the, they, they started this interdependency category, which sort of um, int- which was introduced to recognize non-familial migration. Um, I have to say, I'm, yeah. I'm pretty surprised by A, some of the stats, and B, some of the changes that have happened. So since 1991, more than 7,500 permits have been issued, which seems like a lot, but... Not, I don't know how don't much think, it is compared to... Yeah, I'm not, I don't know if it, it's actually that many. Um, between, well, I thought, a fact that I thought was interesting was between 1991 and 2005, gay Asian migrants made up the largest group of same-sex settlers. It is very interesting. Mm. Um, and that stuff is... Um, uh, written by Audrey Yu, so she's the one that sort of did some of their research that put together that information. So thank you, thank you, Audrey. Um, but it hasn't obviously always been that simple, Farid. No, it's, it, has, it hasn't been that simple. And I think we kind of have to start at some of the beginnings of where um, controlled migration started in Australia, which was around 1901. Federation. 
Yeah. So one of the first acts of the Federation was the Immigration Restriction Act, which um, later became known as the White Australian Policy. That's how my mother got in. Really? Yeah. Um, yeah, and you should be proud. <laughs> well, I'm I'm pleased. I'm not sure I'm proud is the word that I would use. <laughs> that was sarcasm, don't <laughs> So it effectively restricted immigration to people of European background, essentially. Um, but... Uh, they sort of put that stuff into legislation, and until 1958, it kind of stayed um, the same. Yeah, but even post-1958, it still kind of stayed the same, even though things changed. Like, the the principles of the white Australia policy still seemed to be, you know, fairly in place. Right, and, and during that time, you know... Um, people that wanted to become, you know, Australian permanent residents or citizens could apply based on their own merits as, you know, as everyone else could. Um, But there wasn't really anything essentially dedicated um, for, you know, same-sex partners that wanted to sort of live together in the same country but had different nationalities. Mm. Well, things changed in the 70s, as as so many things did. Um, 78, um, Australian Parliament voted in the nine principles of immigration, which basically put an end to the white Australia policy. Yay! Um, Let in the brown people. (laughs) But the fourth of these principles stated non-discrimination in migration, which was a really big thing uh, because, you know, discrimination didn't seem to be a problem before then. Um, So it made migration law more tolerant, more open to non-white European migrants. But all that said, it didn't have actually um, uh, provisions for same-sex couples. So family migration was encouraged. But unfortunately, the sixth principle gave a definition of immediate family, which was derived from the Australian norm, which is husband, wife, unmarried, minor children. So same-sex couples, no. But um, things sort of got progressively better after that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I just, as an advocate, I feel like it's worth mentioning this. Things changed because someone kicked up a fuss. Like uh, one couple, actually, one couple kicked up a fuss and this changed everything. And Varina, I'll let you talk. Talk Thanks. about it while I sit here and feel passionate about it. <laughs> so, so this one. So in in 1984, um, this one couple, a Sydney gay couple, Ryosuke and Graham, went to see a social worker um, named Betty Hounslow at um, at a at a legal aid center in Redfern. And they were looking for help with migration issues. Ryosuke was a Japanese citizen and his Australian visa would soon expire. Um, and Betty Hounslow did a, you know, did a little bit of research and looked at existing reg- regulations and found a possible way to help them. Um, so according to the Migration Act of 1958, the minister had the discretion to approve migration in the case of a person who is a holder of you know, some kind of temporary entry visa. Um, but there are strong compassionate or humanitarian grounds which enabled the person to be allowed to stay, especially if an unreasonable degree of hardship would result for people who are Australian citizens or permanent residents if that person was not allowed to stay. So essentially, um, if you prove that some Australian would, you know, would suffer terribly if you were to leave. Which, of course, is true. Of course, it's it wasn't, true. you know, recognised that same-sex couples could suffer in that way beforehand. Then then there were provisions for that. So um, that's kind of how one of the first same-sex couple migration um, sort of acts happened. Yeah, and, of course, from that, of course, when, when hearing about that particular success, a group 
got started, um, which was uh, called the Gay and Lesbian Immigration Task Force, or GLITF, mm-hmm. um, which opened branches in other state capitals, uh, like about around that kind of same time. Um, and then in 1985, delegations of the Sydney and the Melbourne GLITF went to Canberra to discuss options for same-sex migration with the current immigration minister, who at that time, was willing to listen to these representatives and they came to an understanding that the minister would personally consider applications on a case-by-case basis um, and that a same-sex relationship would in itself justify migration on compassionate grounds. However, (laughs) of course, there's always a caveat. The minister requested stringent stability and genuineness requirements. So that included the request for four years, four years, Four, like four years. That's a long time. Four years of the partners living as a couple. Um, and the fir- these particular, these first kind of round of submissions turned into guidelines for the departments and then actually became regulations. And so um, these, these guidelines um, continued with successive immigration ministers from that time. And four years, if you think about it, is actually a really large amount of time considering that um, when, you know, someone comes here on holiday or they come here to study, they're usually here on, you know, a one-year visa or a two-year visa or possibly a three-year visa if they're, you know, they're doing a whole undergraduate degree. But um, to to meet someone, to fall in love and then to decide to stay in that country and to be able to prove that they've been living together for four years must have been really, really difficult to do back then. Absolutely. Um, and look, the GLITF kept working on helping applicants put together the enormous body of evidence that um, would help their case. And we'll talk about what kind of evidence is, is needed. And there's on. a lot of it. Um, so obviously, although it was still, it was possible now, like tensions and discriminations remained. Um, and obviously there was some controversy in the public about it, although, you know, the GLITF maintained a, a um, pretty low profile at that point. And then in 1989, something that would generally be seen as a good thing happened, uh, which was that there was a general overhaul of migration regulations um, in order to make processes more transparent. Mm -hmm. Now, this is a good thing. Transparent processes are really important when it comes to natural justice. So they now had like really exhaustive regulations um, and that only allowed certain categories of people to apply and reduced ministerial discretionary power so that things were kind of fairer for everyone, I guess, was the idea. But the compassionate sort of grounds didn't um, exist anymore as a result of that. That's right. So when they made this new policy, what's really interesting to me was um, the first draft had a homosexual relationship category, but then by the time they redrafted it and redrafted and redrafted it before it got through... um, they removed they, the, they, they the, took it out. the homosexual category. Yeah, they took it out. I, I mean, there, there couldn't be good reasons for that as well. Um, you know, the mainstreaming of, you know, couples making sure that... Mainstreaming. It's all about democracy being <laughs> voted in by the masses and I guess what the masses wanted. This is um, the downside of democracy for them. <laughs> right. So, so anyway, while, while all that overall was happening, um, the government then sort of established a, a category of visa... For um, for 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 people in de facto relationships um, or interdependent partners, which sort of removed the whole sort of gender or you know same sex relationship thing. It sort of applied to everyone um, that was in a de facto or inter- interdependent partner relationship. Yeah, um, and that sort of was going on from you know 1991 
onwards, and it kind of still forms a basis um, around how you can apply for same-sex partner migration today. Um, so I guess in, in more recent times, in 1997, the Howard government, you know, changed the old regulations, um, you know, the, the, especially the, the whole four-year thing, which I'm sure was really, really hard. Yeah, John to Howard do. did really fabulous things for, you know, <laughs> pretty much every area of public life. But, but what he did do was um, they changed um, the regulations to ensure that there was a one-year requirement for a cohabitation. But not only that, they, they kept it. Yes. So you could only um, get – there were only 500 uh, interdependent visas allowed in a year. And that isn't just for same-sex couples. That's for, that's for, everybody. That's for everyone. So it's, it's nothing. Um, and, of course, the Rudd government um, lifted the cap when they got in, in uh, uh, and, well, they lifted it in 2007. Um, and they also launched a series of reforms on same-sex relationships that became effective at the end of 2009, which kind of ali- aligned our rights further with um, heterosexual couples. Um, the main novelty um, is the possibility to register a relationship in certain states, including Victoria. And what's interesting is that if you register your relationship, um, it allows you to waive the 12-month cohabitation requirement. Well, whew, that's, a, that's a, a short history. This is why we vote Labor people, because they do better things for the community. <laughs> that's right. So that's a, a short history of you know same-sex migration policy in Australia. We're going to play you a little bit of Martika, but when we come back, we'll talk about um, what's required today if, if this is something that you want to go through. And welcome back to Dystopical. We have just been listening to a little remix of Martika's Toy Soldier and Paula Abdul Opposites the Tracks. You know, I just realized um, when I was playing that song that songs used to be a lot longer back then. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It was like a five-minute song. Songs these days like three minutes. Our attention spans have just gone to complete pot. Mm, I blame that on television. I blame that on all sorts of things, including Facebook. <laughs> Facebook, yes. Uh, yeah. Facebook. Let's blame. Let's just blame I'm, things. I'm, I'm blaming Facebook for this okay. particular thing. No, you know, not the fact that it's just like a paradigm and paradigm shift. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Let's blame. Okay. Okay. What would you like to say? Uh, all right. So first of all, um, we're just talking about same-sex migration today. If you've just joined us, and we've just been talking about some of the history around it, but here is what's going on with the law at the moment, and um, this changes a lot. So don't take our word for it. Well, take our word for it now. Take our word for it today. <laughs> don't take our word for it in like six months' time, or, or tomorrow even. Mm. Okay. Um, so. If you're applying for a partner migration, and congratulations to you if you are, that's an amazing thing to be doing, um, you have to fulfill some basic criteria. First of all, you have to be defined in a de facto relationship, which means that you have a mutual commitment to each other to the exclusion of others. That always makes me giggle a little bit, like, you know, so they're not thinking threesomes or menage a trois or, you know, alternate families. The Australian government doesn't do poly. Or, yeah, they're not. You know, accepting no. those lifestyles at this given time. Um, you have to be um, living together, mm. generally, mm-hmm. with, and then, and the relationship has to be genuine and continuing. And you have to either... you have, Okay, so either have to be in that situation, plus have been doing that for at least 12 months prior to application, or you can skip that bit 
um, by registering your relationship, which you can do in Victoria. You still have to demonstrate that you're in this genuine, lasting relationship. You just don't have to demonstrate that it's been sort of you've been you cohabiting for the past. You don't months. have to be living together. That's if right. If you register your relationship. Um, so the migrating partner has to meet the usual health and character requirements. Have the ability to fill in endless amounts of paperwork. Tons and tons and tons of forms. This is obviously a skill they want all immigrants to have: is the ability to fill out tons of forms. And the documentation is nothing short of interest. Um, It's actually, there's a lot of it. Um, You have to sort of show photos of yourselves with family in social situations, celebrating events, um, on a holiday together, basically showing, you know, your life together, celebrating Mm. your life together. Joint bills. Um, That's like electricity, utilities, internet, phone. My favorite part is the statutory declaration that you have to have from friends. Family members, colleagues, etc. We had to do this recently. Yeah, we did this for a friend where we, we had to have it write a stat deck about um, I was there when they met, and ever since then, they which we were lasting. Com- yeah, no, it was all true. Committed relationship, but blah 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 blah. Which just seems yeah. It's interesting. Really- you have to write a little synopsis of the way that you perceive their relationship and um, all the lovey-dovey things they do and how you truly declare that they are really, really in love with each other. And really, 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 truly in a relationship. (laughs) Yes. Um, So, yes, you have to get those things. Um, Plus anything else that proves that you're sort of together. So joint wills, um, beneficiaries on, on each other's supers, you know, joint mortgages, all that kind of stuff. Plus, there's the fees you have to. Open. Which is more than two and a half thousand dollars if you happen to be in Australia, and nearly two grand if you're not. Yes. So lots of money. And if you're in Australia, um, you can't be on a bridging visa or you know have a Schedule Eight restriction. So that means you can't have a no further stay on your. Um, well, what conditions do people have those in? Um, I think certain tourist visas or certain student visas. What? Okay. Mm. Have a you can't stay once this is up clause. Yeah. Okay. So there's no um, ability to extend or you know go on to another visa once that one is mm. is done. So okay. So let's say you you know, scrabble together a lot of this paperwork and you put in your application, then what happens? So what happens is they then, um, they look at all your paperwork, they look at all your forms, blah, blah, blah. Um, And then once it's all sort of, you've checked all the boxes, you've given them everything that you need. um, In some cases, they'll ask you for an interview and in other cases, they will just... um, grant you a temporary visa, which is a year-long visa. Um, No, they'll grant you a temporary visa for two years. And during that time, you kind of have to maintain all the same um, stuff. So you still have to be in that same relationship. You still have to, you know, maintain all the paperwork, blah, 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 prove um, that you're still in this genuine, lasting, committed relationship to the exclusion of all other people. And if all things go well and you guys are still together at the end of two years, voila, you get to live in the same country. (laughs) But they do keep asking you for the evidence. They do keep asking you for evidence. It's not like you put it in the one time. No, so you have to keep putting in this evidence, you know, every time they request it. Um, I'm sure when we had friends going through this, they asked for, like, text messages and Facebook messages to each other and emails. They don't ask specifically for those things, but if you have those things as proof, then you just submit them as well. Because, I mean, last time I wrote a love letter was a very, very long time uh, ago, so it would be hard for me to produce that kind of evidence if I needed to. Well, it's not that I would find it necessarily hard to um, produce it. It's just that it's grossly intrusive. Yes, but... Um, Can you just, like, <laughs> scratch out the dirty I've bits? also known heterosexual couples to go through this, and they have to kind of put in the same amount of... Oh, no, no, well. I'm not at all so, saying and, and that they, it's discriminatory against And they also felt, sense. you know, very 
intruded, intruded upon. upon. You never thought that, you know, a letter that you write to someone or an email you write to someone that you love um, that might have, you know, explicit and very personal things in it would actually then Count as be, evidence. I know. Be, be yeah. scrutinized for immigration purposes. Ah, weird. Now, um, the good thing about um, this whole thing is that there's a provision for if the relationship end, ending due to, you know, abuse or violence um, that you don't automatically get sent back to your home country. They'll, they'll look at, you know, how far along the process you are. And assess your application assess based your application. on your own merits, yeah. Based on that. Um, look, couples face lots of, you know, hardships when they're going through this process. First of all, um, you know, things like things you would do generally together to to establish a relationship like, you know, traveling together doesn't count as time spent together because you don't have all that joint, you know, evidence and stuff like that. Um but it also means that if you're here on a student or some other kind of visa, you might necessarily um, have, you know, health benefits. You might not necessarily have Medicare. You might not necessarily um, have the right to work while, yeah. while you're waiting for this whole process, which can take years. You can actually be stuck in the country without being able to earn money. Absolutely. Which can be difficult on, you know, on, on both partners. All right. So that's a little bit about what's going on with the law right now. And um, I'm going to play you a little bit of music and we'll come back, back and tell your love story. If you would like to know more about becoming a Joy member, find out what shows are coming up next, inquire about your business becoming a Joy sponsor, check out show podcasts, blogs and more. It's all on the Joy website at joy.org.au. And while you're there, you can join the nearly 4,000 people who listen to Joy anywhere and everywhere they want, thanks to the amazing smartphone I can't even say that. Smartphone app. (laughs) Smartphone app, which is available for free at joy.org.au, or you can download it straight from the app section of your iPhone. Plus, you can stay tuned because the Android and the Windows versions of the app are coming soon as well. Woohoo! All right, so we were just playing you Good Life by One Republic. Um, and now we're going to tell you this fabulous long love story, but unfortunately, are completely out of time. <laughs> yeah. So we'll tell you the very, very short version of this love story. This is story. the abridged version this of the love story. This is the abridged version of the love story. Okay, so um, Gopika, a naturalized Australian citizen, met Annika. Um, Anna, sorry, um, an Argentinian, um, while they were both at university um, in Canberra, of all places. Um, they they were both at um, quite a lot of queer events and blah, blah, blah. Um, and they knew when they first met that things were going to be just a lot more than friendship. They kind of got together um during their university years, but because they were from different places, um, they, you know, spent a lot of time apart and sort of were just friends for a long time, um, you know, talked on the phone, on Skype, on Skype, stuff, yeah. Skype stuff like that. Um, and eventually, I guess, over that sort of time of being in very, on various different continents, actually, um, they decided to try and make a go of it um, in, in Melbourne together. And once they, they did that, um, they had to put in a, um, I guess an application 
through using the, the support of the Gay Lesbian Immigration Task Force. Um, and they went to their first advisory meeting um, about 12 months before they put in all their evidence, um, which they didn't have all of. Um, they lived together, f they'd only lived together for three to four months, and they said they couldn't really, um, you know, put bill bills on both names. If you're not a resident, one of them said, you just can't call out, call it electric electricity companies and say, I'd like to put someone else on that bill. It, does, it just doesn't work that way. They were surprised by the amount of paperwork they had to submit. Um, it was just unbelievable, one of them said. Um, it's irritating and also ridiculous and unfair. Um, you have to show so many things. Um, but I guess they, they've, they've gone through with it and um, they're waiting to see what will happen. So that's kind of the story of Anna and Gopika. Guy. I didn't <laughs> is, tell it. Which is a lot nicer when you have the long version. <laughs> I didn't tell it very well. And um, actually, this is from a, an exhibition called The Love Journeys. Um, and there's quite a few of these love journeys. There's a, there's a website and you can read everyone's stories, look at their pictures, um, you know, and, and there's the whole process of, you know, documenting their lives together, but it's also their own stories. So unfortunately, I did not do that any justice whatsoever. <laughs> but um, the longer version is on the Love Journeys website. All right. I don't think you're going to be um, getting us to curate an exhibition anytime soon. Yeah. No offense. Sorry. I mean, I did have to put like a, a really long, lovely story into, you know, two minutes. Give me some, <laughs> you did okay. give me some you did credit okay. there. You're amazing. Okay, thank you. Um, so if you are interested in same-sex partner migration and or if you're looking for more information, the Gay Lesbian Immigration Task Force, Task Force is a really good place to start. Because they still exist. Their website in Victoria is Glitif. So glitfvic.org.au. They have monthly meetings, um, which are every the first Sunday of every month at the Betty Day Centre. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and they have a dual advocacy support role, so they're pretty handy. Um, and they can provide you with advice. They can sort of look at your paperwork. They can sign your stat deck, stuff like that. Um, there's a small membership fee, but I think it's totally worth it if you're going to be um, using their support services, which I sure inevitably you will be so if you're going to be spending two and a half thousand dollars on a visa application anyway i think a small fee is probably not going to make a lot of difference true all right so that pretty much wraps up yeah, our time our show for today um coming up next is tj and keza with white noise so do stick around for that and kat and i will be with you again next week next tuesday good night to find out more about Joy 94.9, check out joy.org.au. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.